0: With blood on his boots. With blood on his boots, he stands as sentry. Those he guards unaware. Three flags, four men, four heroes. With blood on his boots, he stands ready. They will not be alone tonight. A conversation to held between brothers one final time. With blood on his boots, he stands watching. Images, smells, and sounds of battle fresh in his mind. clear to do his duty for them one last time. With blood on his boots, he looks forward, knowing the sacrifice behind. Promises made, promises kept, hearts broken. With blood on his boots, he stands vigilant. Those behind him gave their all till the end. He does the same, but tonight is not his night. With blood on his boots he will not waver, for they did not waver facing their enemies, nor did he as he fought to keep them alive. With blood on his boots he stands knowing, knowing who was left behind. Will she know of his bravery and his effect on my life? With blood on his boots he sees flashes. Are these explosions? Has my time come? With blood on his boots, he is hopeful. So few know our story, the value of our lives, a respectful insight to valor seen on this night. With blood on his boots, he sees a stranger. His presence de- demands respect, so the vultures fly. Respectful shots taken only to be returned in twilight. With blood on his boots, he stands down, for now he is alone three flags, three men sent home. With blood on his boots, he showed honor. To him, it was duty. To the families, it would mean everything. Trapped within his thoughts, years passed him by. Little did he know, healing started with blood on his boots.
1: All right, hey, what's up, everyone? It's Drew from the Warrior Workout Network. We are a nonprofit dedicated to fighting the suicide and obesity epidemics that negatively affect our veteran community. Uh, We're partnered with the Resurrecting Lives Foundation, Veterans Breakfast Club, Oh So Delicious Hot Sauce, Home Depot, Yo Mama, everybody. Uh, Again, I'm Drew with us today. We've got Brandon, what's up, buddy?
2: Hey, man, how you doing, bro?
1: What's up, we got Sean.
3: Yo, boys and girls.
1: <laughs> and we got Dr. Dan Hernandez. Now, I was reading your bio. It says two tarantulas and two pythons in your office. Now, if I were you, I would hide them. Let your patients know they're in there. But when they say, where are they? Just say, I don't know. You find them. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I would do it. I don't know. They were
0: there yesterday. <laughs> two ball pythons. Oh, he's got more. That's actually changed. changed. Yeah, he yes. Yeah, he
2: breeds them now.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I had one, uh, well, the two tarantulas, they're gone as well. So one of them died unexpectedly. Um, but the other one, my niece, she really wanted a tarantula, she wanted one, she wanted one. So I gave mine to her and I actually saw a picture of it the other day. It's doing well. But my two ball pythons has turned into, I think, 26, maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
1: Now. I tell you, it's an honor to have you on here, um, and we hear that you have an incredible story. But one thing that we do know about you, uh, now Lloyd, do you want to go ahead and lead him into this part? Yeah, I will. Go ahead. All right. So,
2: oh, Dr. Dan over here is a, is a become a good friend of mine. Um, he's my dog's veterinarian now, but he listened. Uh, he started listening to the podcast, and he listened to that the episode 41 where i told the story of ariaga and um from the how that was went from being the worst moment of my life and how it turned into a, a, one of the most memorable and, and most cherished moments of my life well uh it really it got to him and it affected him and he, he sent me a text and was like hold on i'm writing you something and lit, it was no more than 10 minutes i mean i I say five, but it was very quick. He sends me this poem that had me in tears for most of the day. Um, But I'm going to, he's, I was thinking of wanting to start these, uh, when I'm on here, help, helping with the the co-host and stuff uh, with a, a quote or something like that. And, and having him on here, I, I asked him if he would read this poem to us because it's, Man, it's it's deep, and it explains that episode in, in poem form, and um, it just kind of lets you it'll let you know the kind of mind that this guy has, and uh, uh, I think you'll kind of get to know him right off the bat before we even get into really learning about him. So if you want to go ahead, Doctor Dan,
0: with blood on his boots, with blood on his boots, he stands as sentry; those he guards unaware. Three flags. Four men, four heroes. With blood on his boots, he stands ready. They will not be alone tonight. A conversation held between brothers, one final time. With blood on his boots, he stands watching. Images, smells, and sounds of battle fresh in his mind, cleared to do his duty for them one last time. With blood on his boots, he looks forward, knowing the sacrifice behind, Promises made, promises kept, hearts broken. With blood on his boots, he stands vigilant. Those behind him gave their all till the end. He does the same, but tonight is not his night. With blood on his boots, he will not waver, for they did not waver facing their enemies, nor did he as he fought to keep them alive. With blood on his boots, he stands knowing knowing who was left behind will she know of his bravery and his effect on my life with blood on his boots he see flashes are these explosions has my time come no it is the flash of cameras vultures praying and profiting from our loss with blood on his boots he is hopeful so few know our story the value of our lives a respectful insight to valor seen on this night with blood on his boots. He sees a stranger, his presence death demands respect. So the vultures fly respectful shots taken only to be returned in twilight. With blood on his boots. He stands down for now. He is alone three flags, three men sent home with blood on his boots. He showed honor to him. It was duty. To the families, it would mean everything. Trapped within his thoughts, years passed him by. Little did he know, healing started with blood on his boots.
2: <clears throat> Dang, wow. Oh. I'm
1: glad I let him read that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, my. that's our guest today, Dr. Daniel Hernandez, everybody. How you feeling? How's everyone feeling?
2: Oh, that got me. And (laughs) and the whole time I was sitting here thinking is, one of the first people I shared that with was uh, uh, Richard Arriaga's sister. And she wrote back and said that that was the best thing that she has ever read in her life.
3: That was, uh, man, that was, that was beautiful, man. And anybody out there listening,
2: anybody out there listening that hadn't heard episode 41 where I tell the Richard Arriaga story, that go back and listen to it. And it, it, he, the I mean, if you heard it, he talked about the reporter taking, you know, the guy taking the picture and then the British, yeah. British reporter coming out and kind of, I mean, everything, it just, it's, it's not just a smart and intelligent mind that can come up with something like that. That's somebody that can hear something and just takes takes another level of information. Of, I don't know, it, I, it really puts me at a loss for words. I, I live through that. I've heard and told that story in my head so many times. And the way he summed it up in a poem is mind blowing to me
1: dr dan can we can i use that as the promotion for this episode do you mind
2: most definitely
1: all right man i'm gonna turn that into something for y'all
2: it'll probably be the when you turn you know how you open a book there's like four or five pages it's got a little bit of whatever to, written to whoever the prefect blah 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 that's gonna be
1: acknowledgements
2: right. that's gonna be right there in the beginning of it somewhere man that's
1: that's uh that's awesome so yeah if, if you know the story there's no way that doesn't just punch you in the heart <laughs> like if you've heard good. the episode if you heard 41 that you can just you can kind of go with it in your head you can just track along
2: and you know again it, it, the whole time it goes in order it's 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 amazing so oh, now, now that we know you're an, an unbelievable poet he's an artist too he can <laughs> do anything you can draw he does it all um Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from, where how you got to being a, a doctor. Um, All
0: right. um, well, Dana Hernandez, uh, doc, I have many names, <laughs> but uh, I grew up in Southeast Alabama. I was born in, I believe, Colleen Texas. I uh, lived there until I was about two years old. Uh, then my mother moved us back to Alabama. Um, Grew up in Southeast Alabama in a little, I claim the place I went to school, but I actually grew up in a community, Damascus community. Uh, We lived 400 yards from the water tower. That was the only relevant thing about that town. Um, And then New Brockton was where I went to high school. Uh, From there, um, graduated, uh, went to uh, Troy University. Actually, let me take that back. I attended the junior college for one year um, due to some circumstances. Uh, then wound up transferring to Troy University. Um, Fun fact, uh, the only degree I hold is my doctorate of veterinary medicine. I have no BS, no associates, no certificate, just uh, somehow, I I don't even think you can do that now. Straight Uh, through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I got my prereqs done at Troy, uh, then transferred to Auburn University, did my four years there, Um, and then I worked in Northwest Alabama at a mixed animal practice for about four and a half years. uh, And I've been down in Mobile, Alabama for five years now. So So
1: you basically walked out of the backyard, walked behind that water tower and came back a doctor.
0: (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) You know, I'm the only doctor in my family. Um, You know, a few have gone to college, but we're not a a huge uh, family of rich doctors with books, We are in Alabama. So that's, uh... <laughs> uh, now,
2: if I'm not mistaken, you were, you, you were an, an equine veterinarian, but the way the circumstances played out, that's what made you, what did you get small animal? Correct.
0: So I actually, first time I ever, when I wanted to be a veterinarian, I actually wanted to be a zoo veterinarian. Um, until I found out the hours that they work, uh, the pay that they make, and the fact that pretty much you got to wait for one to die because there's not yeah. that many zoos, <laughs> And so you got to kind of try to wiggle your way in and hope one dies off so you can get a job. Um, from there, I actually wanted to be a small animal orthopedic surgeon. I hate orthopedics. Now I don't even want to splint a broke leg. Um, but then I met uh, my mentor, one of my best friends, my boss now and soon to be business partner, Tyler Dees, Um, And he actually got me interested in ambulatory. So large animal ambulatory. So, and really I just want to work on horses. So I fast tracked my education pointed everything to horses. Now Auburn university makes you do everything because your boards are on everything. Some schools let you say, okay, I'm going to be a horse doctor and pretty much all your classes are horse and then they'll give you enough so you can get your boards passed. But Auburn prides themselves on making well-rounded veterinarians. Mm -hmm. So, um, but my famous last words as I graduated, received my uh, diploma and my doctorate, uh, was I will never work on a dog and cat again. My first job was 95% small animal. Uh, I currently now just work on dogs and cats, <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so my, my first job I did, um, it was an older gentleman. He's probably in his seventies now. Um, he used to be a cow vet years ago and he told me, he said, you know, you come in, I'll teach you the small animal stuff. Uh, You know, you bring in the large animal stuff, rebuild my large animal practice. Um, And the whole idea was for me to one day buy that practice, which that's one of the many, many crazy moments in my life that things just didn't work out. So, you know, after four and a half years, I got the short end of the stick. So (laughs) now I'm down in Mobile.
1: Uh, so now look, you're at the home of one of your patients right now, you know, with Lloyd's dog. So I gotta, t- if you tell me how he's doing, is that a violation of HIPAA
0: or w- what is this, man? Tell me. Uh, so really, as long as I have his permission, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I can tell you anything, uh, and I mean technically we don't have HIPAA. I know, I but know. you can be sued over giving information out. It's kind of weird. Like there's a lot of things that we aren't supposed to do that we kind of do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause with, we have to follow pretty much the same medical rules. Like for instance, if you were to call me and say, if you just called me and said, Hey, you know, I want to know, you know, how's, how's Lloyd's dog doing? I'd be like, sorry, you know, I, I can't tell you that information without permission from him. So we do have some rules. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, but you I mean, also, a real doctor, but... I've never it's... met a doctor that followed the Hipparu, I, I personally that I know, like, they're they, they so loose-lipped, they're just like, ah. You're like can you tell me a this, story, can you tell man. me this? Listen,
0: a good story is a good story. A
1: good, good story. story is a good story. They're professional as shit in the room, though. You That's don't right. know they go home and tell about it, though.
0: Put the mask no. on <laughs> and you walk in the door, and you take it off, and you walk into the hallway of the lobby.
2: And the thing, you say a good story is a good story and it is, but you didn't just happen upon being up in and up at Auburn and then getting, uh, becoming a veterinarian. You struggled, you had some some rough times coming up too. I did. Um, go ahead, what happened? So,
0: so growing up, the, from the time I was seven years old, the plan was, I'm gonna be a veterinarian. I'm gonna be a veterinarian. And also it was, I'm gonna be a veterinarian and I'm going to attend Auburn University. That was the only plan. Literally, I put all my eggs in one basket when the time came. Um, I only took the GRE once, which is kind of your test you have to pass to get in vet school or you got to get a certain number. Um, I only applied to one vet school one time. Uh, But before that, I actually had plans to join the military. I was uh, courted by army recruiter. Uh, If I wasn't, if I was 18, I would have already been signed, but I was 17 and my parents wouldn't let me sign. So they, they said, you got to graduate first. And, um, but then also I played football and football was life, man. And that's what I wanted. My, my plan, the, the master plan I had in my mind was, you know, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to do my time in the military. Um, and then I'm gonna, you know, or I'm gonna play football, do delay entry, do my time in the military, then let the military pay for vet school. Uh, cause it's actually a pretty good gig being a veterinarian in the military. Um, and it was an option to try to help with relief afterwards but uh, when I was uh, I was 17 it was my senior year all my friends had laid up and gotten sorry uh, and my dad my dad he's he's the best he our football coaches they they weren't they they were great I love my football coach you'll probably hear about him a lot tonight but one thing they didn't really do is they didn't really think a lot of guys from a 2a school could go play college ball so my dad took it upon himself he got all my videos he got my film he sent it to All the coaches around and uh, the coach at university of West Alabama. I don't even know his name Uh, too many head hits. I don't remember stuff that well, but, uh, he, uh, he called me and he said, listen, son, I've given all the scholarships I can give." He says, but I promise you, if you can lift what your weight chart says you can lift on this date, I'm having a combine because I don't care how you do for the rest of the trip. If you can lift this weight, I want you to be my middle linebacker. So I kept working, kept hustling, you know, while my other friends were laid up, I was still acting like a football player getting yelled at and, and cussed at and <laughs> working, working my tail off. And, you yeah. cause this was for months,
2: correct? This was for months. Cause you yes. had this offer I'm, I want to say like in the spring. Correct.
0: Yeah. It was before graduation. Um, and so my football season had ended in the fall. The new season was starting. And so, Really I had nothing to do. Normally the seniors, they just go hang out in the locker room. Instead, I was working out. And I was supposed to go to the combine on a Saturday. The Monday before that I fell asleep at the wheel of my car and I crashed into a house. Uh, I totaled a house when I was 17. State farm loved me. Um, and I shattered my heel bone in my right foot. Uh, and I couldn't run or walk for a year. I could walk, I could walk, but I couldn't run for a year.
2: And that's um, downplaying it the way you should have. So you want died. me to tell the story? Yeah. I can tell the story. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so, I want to, I want to have right. tell how that So happened.
0: also what played into this was I worked since time I was 14 years old, I've had a full-time job and I worked. I never had a work permit and I worked till two, three in the morning. And I would go pick up my girlfriend every morning take her to school. And it was early one morning I was driving and I wake up in a ditch and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm driving through, I get out of this ditch and I'm driving through a field that had been plowed not too long ago. And I see this gigantic ass pecan tree. And I might add, I'm driving a 95 Mitsubishi Eclipse. So I look like Manila gorilla in this thing. I mean, even then I was 250 pounds of muscle. And so I I filled it out. Um, And I managed to cut the wheel and steer away from the pecan tree only to head towards a light pole. And, and you know how things, sometimes they just slow down. I think I'll talk about it in in the podcast a little bit, you know, things just go in slow motion. And I remember, I actually steered the car between the light pole and the guide wire. And I remember looking up as I went under it, thinking that was close. And, (laughs) And I was in the middle of a curve and I was about to get back on the road and I hit their driveway and their driveway was pea gravel and it just snatched the wheel. And I literally hit the corner of the house head on. And I remember seeing the hood of the car wrinkle up the bricks crack in the house, the windshield spider out. Uh, and then everything went black. Um, I, I hit the house so hard. I knocked the cornice, which is the top of the, the roof line. I knocked that off of the other side of the house Their brick, cracked from the bottom of where I hit to the top opposite corner. I dominoed up their hardwood floors and it's amazing the room I hit, there were actually two kids sleeping in it, but I didn't go through. Um, I bounced my car bounced off and my driver's side door was pinned up against the, um, house. So, um, I woke up, uh, and I knew my foot just hurt, hurt so bad. And I managed, uh, apparently there was a guy that came out and said, he heard me screaming. I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember vividly uh, as I get out of my car, I'm just kind of wondering what exactly happened. A woman steps out and it's the woman that lived in the house and she's half asleep. And she says, are you okay? Uh, I thought, I thought you were my husband. And I'm like, who thinks their husband <laughs> just drove the car into the
1: house? I <laughs> <normally Yeah>. <laughs> forgot to tell you he's a raging alcoholic. And he usually comes home super
0: late, fucking trashed.
1: He's done this before.
0: Yeah, Y'all have a lot
3: of fun night.
1: down there, man. <laughs>
0: so, so, and not only me being 250 pounds of Mexican man meat, um, and I had blood dripping down because I had cuts all over me. Blood was dripping off. And this woman sees me and she says, oh my God, and she runs inside and I'm like, ma'am, ma'am, please. And I remember I was at her door just barely knocking because that's all the energy I had. And I said, ma'am, please, I just need to call my, my parents. What and year is this? She stuck the phone out the door to let me call. <laughs> and I called my dad and of course I'm a jokester. And so I called my dad and he's, and I told him, I was like, dad, I hit a house. And he's like, what? I was like, dad, I, I hit a house. He's like, quit playing what's going on. I was like, no dad, my car is in a house. I am hurt, I have wrecked and and i'll remember i was so angry that they cut my blue jeans off but i was going so fast and <laughs> i literally blew out of the ass from my right ass cheek all the way down to the back of my knee my pants tore open <laughs> the steering wheel in half like a taco had no airbags of course in that old car mm-hmm. uh the the window roller broke off sliced my knee open uh and so but the <laughs> and then they wouldn't quit asking me like, son you had anything to drink Look, it's five in the morning who is drinking which now that i'm older i know that's really not that not that crazy <laughs> it was. but you know but they just kept asking me you know son have you been drinking son have you been? Drinking? no 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 and i remember the finally the emt got my face and said son I, I just need to know he said now they're going to test you when you get there but i just need to know have you been drinking so i looked at him i said come here I screamed in his ear, I hadn't had nothing to damn drink. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, all right, all right, all right. So, but that, I remember as I rolled back in a hospital bed, I remember looking down at my foot and and the way that it hurt. Because as soon as the ambulance pulled up, I couldn't walk anymore. And I remember looking down and I said, this is it. You know,
2: man, you had less than a week before you was going to, you was gonna be four at the or combine. five days. Yeah, before he was at the <laughs> right before the I don't even combine.
0: think we called and told them. God,
2: that's so, so. What got you, as a seventeen-year-old kid that's got literally at that time of your life at seventeen, you had it all planned out because there was no way you were gonna get to the combine and not lift what you were supposed to lift. Oh,
0: precisely. So
2: that was that. That leads to a scholarship. That leads to you playing ball at West Alabama. That was a plan for you. So this happens all of a sudden. How do you get through that? and not completely derail and, and end up, you know, on, on the wrong side of the tracks.
0: Well, I think a lot of it really just goes back to kind of my origins and how I, you know, I grew up through adversity, you know, from the time that, you know, I was two years old, my father got put in prison. Um, my mother left that, she didn't leave him for what he did. She left because she didn't want my sister and me staring at our father through bars for a whole life. So she came back to Alabama. And when I was five years old, if you ever hear me say, dad, my stepfather is my dad. The only reason I ever refer to him as stepfather is to clarify there is no blood between he and I. But other than that, he's my dad. And so at five years old, I got my new dad. And I remember my mother worked two jobs. My dad worked two jobs. He had an ex-wife that sucked every dollar we had. I remember that there was a time, and of course I don't remember, I just know that they told me, there was a time in our lives when after my dad paid everything he had to pay he brought home 25 dollars out of all of his paychecks but i remember we always the thing we didn't have a lot but what we had was love and my mother always told me she said son if if you ever want to know what your father did i'll tell you and i like to stay jaded i never asked i knew he did something really bad but i never asked and so you know that was tough getting in that wreck but being 15 years old and finding a briefcase in the top of your closet that contained the court transcripts to a court case where your father raped two women. Um, that was pretty heavy. You know, I found that and really it was at that time. Thankfully, I said, i would talk about my football coach a lot and I will, because he honestly, besides my dad is the man that forged me into the man I am today. You know, we played football. I started playing football in 2000 and I played for three years. And I've told Lloyd, like all my coaches, they were either in the military or thought they were in the military and treated us likewise. (laughs) And one thing, my football coach always instilled in us. He talked about this little man. He said, there's a little man in your head and you're going to listen to this little man. You know, he used to say, what you going to do one day, when you get home, your house is on fire. Your wife has left you took your kids, drained your bank account, and somebody just hit your dog in the road, what you going to do? You're going to listen to that little man and lay down. You're going to listen to that little man and give up. And so we were trained and taught to ignore the little man. And so failure has never been an option. And I know one of your podcasts, you talked about fear, you know, and what people's various fears are and, and failure is my biggest fear, but it's also not an option. And so that's what drove me you know i was fortunate enough that i did accept a a scholarship which is why i said i I attended a junior college for one year because the only other scholarship i accepted i got offered tons of them but i always i always feel like what a jerk when you see these kids walk across the stage and it's like johnny b nothing has five million three hundred and forty five dollars in scholarships i'm like dude you're only going to use like twenty thousand of that and there's some other kid that's not getting it now So, uh, but I only, I accepted the junior college one. And so I did have that back door. Um, I was able to go to junior college, but I was in a dark place. I was in a bad place. Um, I've battled depression and anxiety my whole life. I've never let it define me. I try not to let it define me, but really when that happened, it was just a big moment of, you can't listen to that little man. You know, I knew football was over, but being a veterinarian, that was the ultimate goal. So that wasn't over.
2: And what 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 was the veterinarian? Where did that come from?
0: All was I can it- think, I'm still not 100% sure how I decided, but there was this one time, and we talked about it earlier, there was one time in my life when life was like awesome as far as money. My dad was a car salesman and I tell people he could sell an Eskimo, and ice cube and convince them it was their idea. Um, <laughs> and there was one year he was salesman of the month, salesman of the month, salesman of the year. He got the entire year salesman and I remember it was I was rolling. In oh, the, we were, in and, and, and the way they wife
1: to took it, it all.
0: Yeah, he took it all. He took
1: and it, it was, all. he had it, and they got the spin, so yeah, yeah. Had fun. Oh, oh, thank yeah. God, man. So, yeah, so yeah, oh. yeah
0: no, no, uh, no. I misunderstood that. No, they they did well, but what the way they used to reward them was I remember y'all remember the company company Amway? They used to sell oh, all yeah. these chotchkie kind of things, Is and there? they have a,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they do,
0: yeah. So it was, so I remember the way they got the rewards was in Amway points and, and I'll never remember cause we never got much on Christmas but I'll never remember that Christmas morning walking out. It just, it was a spread just from one side of the living room to the other, all sponsored by Amway. <laughs> it, was just, it was all Amway, uh, but I remember that year we got satellite. I feel like I'm so old. Yeah, we got satellite television. <laughs> but we had satellite cuz we always had the Curtis math. We had the Curtis math. This wooden 12 channels had to tune them yourself. Um but I remember we got satellite. And I remember I think that was the year that I don't remember the name of the show, maybe it was Emergency vets or something. Uh but there was one veterinary show on that and it was I think the hospital's Alameda West somewhere in California, I think. Uh, and that was the first veterinary show. And other than that, like any critter, creature, I was always picking it up, trying to save it. I found a bird, I was picking it up, trying to save it. Everything died a horrible death because I was a kid and an idiot, <laughs> but I thought I was doing something great. Uh, and so I think that kind of spawned it all uh, and started the pathway.
1: That's, I mean, that fucking failure is how you get to success, right? You a bunch of animals die and then all of a sudden you start saving them.
0: It's it said nothing works until it does.
1: Mm hmm. Let me ask you, I want to back up a little bit. You said uh, that you are not defined by your depression, your anxiety, and that. What are your coping mechanisms if that is an active function in your life? Because I know for me, depression and anxiety is, so I have certain things I need to do to address it daily to get through.
0: So there's multiple things. Uh, One is I have a thousand hobbies. I have a thousand things. Like writing is a big one. Uh, Like I've actually because of COVID this year, I've been in a dark place. You know, I, this, yeah. this was supposed to be my year. Uh, this was, uh, you know, I started back playing rugby a few years ago. Uh, I've been going to Aspen, Colorado to Rugger Fest, and I got to meet some really uh, top-end players. Uh, got uh, Tiger rugby coach, Paul, Holm. Paul Holmes, he's on the board of uh, USA Rugby, uh, and I got a shoe-in. Basically, I got an invite to go play for the Classic Eagles in Bermuda this year. I actually got it last year, but couldn't go. Because my boss was in Fiji playing rugby, um, so rock, rock
1: your face. <laughs>
0: and so this was going to be the year. Uh, I actually swapped teams uh, because the team, my home team, uh, was having some attendance. You know, we really we couldn't fill a full team, and this was so I I joined another team so I could play and practice to stay in shape. I was down to like 260 pounds. Uh, you know, just hell on wheels, ready to rock and roll. COVID hit and, you know, I'm back to almost 290. uh, really struggling to work out. And, and so the big thing is, I, I dive into my hobbies is one thing, but I'm like anyone, I, I don't let it define me, but it still tries to destroy me. Um, yeah. and, and the biggest thing is finding people like me, like finding Lloyd, he has no idea how much he's helped me just, just our conversations and just, I think it's finding people that understand. And even though I'm not a veteran, you know, disclaimer, I'm a civilian. (laughs) Uh, I understand the plight of what what you're going through. And, And I think it's finding those support groups, those support people, finding healthy ways to relieve that stress. Because there are a lot of unhealthy ways you can deal with it. You can fall into the bottle. You can fall into drugs. You know, you can fall into a lot of different things. But I think it's trying to fall into those healthy things. And then also remember, and I'm sure in the military, y'all had all kinds of creeds and mantras. You know, I had, I had creeds that my coach forced upon me, you know, and the, the, the little man, all those things. It is literally all hands on deck. We must work together to, to get over it when, when it hits us. And my wife doesn't understand. She loves me through it, but she doesn't understand. And, and I try to tell people, you know, some people are just like, well, well, just be happy. Just don't be sad you know, it's not that simple. No, just, just don't be stressed out. It's, it's not that simple, but when you find those people that understand, even if you're both in a dark place, it elevates you a little bit, you know, because as the old saying goes, misery loves company. And and I try to think of it positively. You're not trying to bring somebody down. You're trying to elevate somebody.
3: Well, I think a big lesson is, is that, I mean, everyone here talking tonight is an athlete. Um, You know, Drew, Drew hockey, big hockey guy, You know, Lloyd, college football player, you know, I'm a rugby player, was a rugby player, rugby, rugby, rugby and football for you. Um, And there's something to be said, you know, there's also something to be said about the things that we do outside of our sport. So, you know, Lloyd, he paints, he does his stuff like that. Drew, you'll see him writing a lot. I, you know, I got into music, started playing the bagpipes to try to express, something you know through something other than then smashing into people all the time you know you have to be able to have that it's it's kind of like a yin-yang kind of thing you got to be able to explore the physical side and, and unleash a little bit of that frustration through physical activity I don't care what it is and then you also have to get onto that that mental side which allows you to express what's going on maybe through your mind or what's going on in your heart you know
0: and I think a big portion of it too was I was very angry. I've always been an angry person. Uh, first grade, uh, I threw it one of those old school desks—not one of the little ones, like the whole seat and everything. I threw it across the classroom in first grade. Um, and so I've I've always battled anger. And I think with depression and anxiety comes ang- anger, and it, and it comes in different forms for people. Uh, mine is a very very explosive anger and. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, you're oh, I never see you mad. And it's like, cause I had to learn to box the beast. You don't yep. want to see me mad. I don't want to see myself mad. Yep. Uh, I refuse to get in physical altercations other than rugby. Uh, I, you know, I'm 35 years old and I have managed to never been in a fist fight. Um, because I'm afraid I'll kill someone because when I get so angry, I see red and I can't stop. And so I think learning to control those, very, very harsh swings in either direction. And like you said, it's a balance because if you sit there and you mash your brains to bit, it doesn't matter if you just want to sit there and cry, you know, it doesn't do you any good. And so you got to be able to, you know, it's like a, some meme or something on Facebook where the Indian chief says you have two wolves that you're feeding, you know, good and evil. And it's like, which ones wins and it's the one you feed the most. And so you, you've got to to balance that and, and keep them in check.
2: And the, and the courageous thing about human nature is that the it's always easiest to feed the evil.
0: Very much so. That, oh,
2: that, yeah. Every time. That's just because that's the easiest thing to do. It, the yeah. wrong thing to do is always the easiest. Because yeah. um, the way you explain it, for, pe- for people out there that have never dealt with uh, depression, anxiety, and all that stuff, uh, you say you just got to not listen to the little man and stuff like that, it almost... I know how difficult that is. Yeah,
0: it's not easy. Uh,
2: it is extremely <laughs> hard to so to stay on track the way that you did, and and to accomplish the things that you did. To life. that's that's a, that's an amazing feat.
0: To and make. well, that's the thing is, see, the little man doesn't just whisper words of defeat. He'll whisper, "Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Just if just don't do it, or just leave,
1: or validate the negative thoughts. That's very much weird. so that's where um, positive self-talk daily is very uh, effective with combating that little man because eventually that becomes habit and it will override the voice of that man. I mean, just like anything else, you give it enough time and it's habit. Um, Another thing about the um, about the emotional processing too, especially before you get into the the action phase, is that is allowing yourself to take a moment to process whatever just happened. So if you know, like me, I'm a fucking crier, dude. So like, I will stop and I'll be like, "Fuck, I got," I'll get emotional as shit, cry it out, and it's like, "All right, let's attack this fucking thing." Like, you know, some people they they're like, "Nah, nah, dude, don't hold like." Nah, nah, <laughs> we got this. And I'm like, man, I don't know how y'all do it, but like,
0: dude, I'll cry at a well-worded Charmin commercial. All right. <laughs> no, <I can't>. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the you Go know, ahead, the SBC man. commercials don't give me as much as they used to because I'm in it. But you know, for 25 cents, you can <laughs> save this dogs yeah. and 15 other dogs like it's life. And you got Sarah McLaughlin in the background singing arms of an angel, you know, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, (laughs) i think the the, yeah that's a huge part is understanding your emotional process before you can attack it um um, another thing especially talking about having that explosive anger I've got the same thing too. And one thing that my, uh, cause I, I always speak very openly about seeing your therapist as often as possible because it's, it, I, I think it's resp- most responsible thing you can do is have an open dialogue with a professional who can help you mentally process what you're going through. And when you're dealing with things like explosive anger, you know, we're from New York. So we have the Niagara river, which is the fastest constant flowing river in the world. And when he was a kid, he would swim in it. And when you're two miles away from the falls, you can swim in it with no relative danger. Once you get within about a mile of the falls, your the current picks up and you know there's no getting out of this, especially once you get closer to the falls. If you treat your anger like that water, so if you know that you've got this trigger point and You're this far in the water and you're like, if I stay here, I'm going to just go down the falls and I'm going to explode. So you have to know how to get yourself out of the calm water before you transition into that heavy water. That way you don't allow yourself to slide into that mental process and eventually understand that, you know, like, oh shit, I'm about to have a mental explosion. Let's back away, step up, get out of the water, back up. And if we can catch it early enough, you won't get caught in that water that's going to drag you down the falls and eventually fucking cause you to explode slash go down the falls. And that's where it's good to have buddies too. They can help through
2: that. because um, there's been a lot of times I knew it was that time to get get away from them falls, but I was
1: like, Nope, I'm riding this river. We're going over and we're going <laughs> big. <laughs> like, they just pissed me off. So I'm about to stop till everyone's crying. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. So, um, there's, there's a
3: lot, you know, it's funny. I, anytime I hear something about horses or something like that, I always feel like it's some kind of weird omen. Um, and you know, being a Calvary scout and and actually when I, you know, I was a young kid, I grew up between two horse farms. I used to ride all the time. And I think that exactly what drew, you know, to echo pretty much what Drew's saying and use this analogy is, you know, dealing with what we all deal with on the physical and emotional side is, just like riding a damn horse, man, you got a wild animal, but you still gotta hold on to them damn reins and control it a little bit, you know, and um I think we've all been in a spot where you just you just kick the damn thing and take off, and the faster it's going and the more it's losing control on the on the trail or wherever you're going you're it it starts to feed something in you that's not exactly what you started out doing or or what your mission was in the beginning, which is to maintain some type of control with what you're doing. Um, And it's like Drew said, it's very easy to just jump in the deep end and just, you know, in a way, metaphorically, ride the lightning, man, just ride
1: the wave and let it go. Let it, let the anger, let the emotion take over. And, you know, that's why they want, you know, that's why our society dies of hypertension because often just because we allow that more often than we really should is that, uh, that emotion. Um, I don't remember who was it, uh, Chris Porter, who's a comedian talked about the way that guys process emotion and we only process it through three things. It's, it's anger, um, confusion and, um, Guinness and happiness. Oh, Guinness. Yeah. So it's <laughs> either you, you can, uh, that's how you process and then everything else comes afterwards, but okay. you can only immediately process three things through either anger, confusion, or happiness. Um, and people say horny, but that's happy and angry at the same time. <laughs> Fair <enough. laughs> Um, and I did, that is his joke. Totally not mine. Um, but uh, it's very true or it's like, it is he's like, you know, watch your favorite team lose the game. <laughs> and you're like, you go through all three of those in the exact same time. And it's like, all right, at what point do we kind of expand our minds a little bit and understand like where, how do we receive information? How do we be able to kind of navigate our world and, and environments in a more positive manner. That's not going to cause us to fuck go to ten because a lot of us, especially living with depression, anxiety, we're not at zero. Our baseline isn't zero. Our baseline's five. Our baseline's six, seven, eight, nine, depending on the day. So uh, you know. What you I wanted know. to ask was. Oh God.
2: Um, it, I'm trying to think of how to word this. The the way you wrote that poem, it, just because somebody's a talented writer, I don't that don't mean they could listen to that podcast and then come up with what you did, the way that you wrote that, how emotional it was. So we're all a product of our environment and we handle things through life, how we learned and how we saw it done until we learned different ways. Your household coming up, was it emotional? Were you free to show emotion? Like how, how did you get
0: Good question. to where? So it was, I was definitely a mama's boy make fun. I'll hit you in the mouth and make fun of uh, <laughs> I was definitely a mama's boy. Uh, and my mother was always, I was her sweet baby. And I was, and I've always been an emotional teddy bear. You know, it's uh, at one point in my life, I was short, dumpy, had big glasses and a flat top. And, you know, and then I, I was an emotional creature then. And then I got, you know, I, I grew up, I got bigger, I, I got muscle, started playing football, but that didn't change any of that. I'm still, a big emotional teddy bear, um, but it was the biggest thing. is Love was given so freely uh, in my family. That was you know, and it's so cliche for people to say you know we we were rich in love, but we were. That's what we had. We didn't we didn't have much, but we had love. Uh, you know, I, I to this day I don't know that I've seen my mother buy herself much of anything, uh, but she always made sure I had a pair of cleats so I could play football. And she always made sure that we had water, that we had lights, that we had clothes on our back. And I was taught very early that it doesn't matter what you have, you can take a bath and you can be clean. (laughs) And, but it was always, there was just always love there. And my mother, she's a nurse.
2: Yeah, at Rucker, Fort
0: Rucker. At Fort Rucker, she's a nurse. Um, You know, she she works on soldiers a lot these days um, and has forged some pretty good relationships with some, but really, my mother's compassion and care for humans. I mean, she did hospice uh, in her career when I was younger. And I i really, through the years, I've become an empath. I was gonna uh, say,
1: did you, did she teach you how to process emotion through doing that yeah, job? Because, what, I mean, I'm oh, glad you said that. Ray. That's shit. what I was trying to get at. I
0: think so. Um, I mean, I was really, my mother, actually the first job I remember my mother having, other than I think she was a school nurse, was she was actually a nurse at a gynecologist's office, so I oh, wow. I learned a lot of stuff real quick, uh, and, and she definitely probably violated some HIPAA telling me some things to keep <laughs> keep my pants on.
1: Oh, <laughs> you people in the community, Brenda with the stank ass crotch.
0: Yeah, yeah, like it, I always wondered why Mom wouldn't approve of some girlfriends, you know. <laughs> I'm
1: telling you, no, don't date her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: But, but yes, no, so yeah, my mom, she was, she was always like that. She, she definitely, and I, I just saw how caring and loving she was for us. I mean, you know, part of what we didn't talk about the things she had to go through when my dad did that, you know, part of it was, uh, he signed power of attorney over to his family instead of my mom. So everything we had Um, in order to get to Alabama, my mother sold my biological father's shop full of snap on tools. I think she said some dude got a killer deal. I think she sold it for like $1,200 rented a U-Haul trailer and packed us up and moved us to Alabama. Um, she, our our family was apparently in the national news death threats. It was a big deal. And so my mom's been through a lot. And just the the empathy she has shown people uh, I've always as long as I can remember I've been the person that people trust with secrets I'm the one that gives advice I can fix everyone in the world's problems but my home um, you know we used to joke when I was in vet school about my leather couch because when fun fact about uh, veterinary colleges they're about 90 plus percent female now uh, I think I had 17 guys in my class of 97 and so we used to, all the girls, we'd joke, come on, come on through the leather couch. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get you through your problems. And uh, that's just, I've, I've just always been like that. And so when I, it's hard to describe, but when I wrote that poem, I literally looked at that picture the whole time. He sent it to me and I looked at it the whole time. And what makes me cry with things is not what's happening. So death rarely makes me cry. What makes me cry, is the pain i know the family feels is the pain i know everyone else feels i feel that Uh, it's so heavy and tangible i feel that because in what i do i've almost and and i hate this i i don't want to say it the wrong way but we almost become cold to death the the way i describe it to people even though it's just animals is that you can only see the light leave something eyes so many times before you must build a wall and you must dampen that effect on you and so it's not necessarily the death that bothers me or the destruction of something. It is. I literally feel what that person feels, or I imagine that I can feel what that person feels, you know, now that I'm a father, anything that does with a child hurting or something like that, I feel that.
1: Yeah. Especially, you know, being a father now, you know, you, it allows you to appreciate to go back to what you're saying, uh, not to take away, but like when you're, you're saying how your mom like would, buy you your cleats and she wouldn't buy anything for herself but it, it, it you understand the pride that you take and like seeing that smile in your kid's face like the knowing they're taken care of and like the comfort that they can feel in their home because they know they're safe mm-hmm. there is i don't know there, there, there there's an unspoken gift to that that um you know the, the guys your kids are lucky to have a dad like you especially for everything you've been through and you're still kind and you're still caring you're tough but you love everything you know everyone and everything especially being empathic i mean you feel everyone's emotions but it also makes you probably a really incredible father because you probably hug the crap out of your kids and like so i mean you know hats off to you man
0: appreciate it yeah
3: well
1: i think there's something
3: to be also i'm sitting here thinking just about our last episode and you know with with Lloyd's story and and the poem and, and, you know, your story, you know, Dan, um, there's a lot of similarity to, um, standing guard over something. And, um, you know, you can stand guard over your fallen brothers. You can stand guard over your principles. Um, you can stand guard over your mom, right? Who got you out of a bad situation, got you into a different place. Um, In a way, all of us uh, are faced at one point in time with um, doing that extra and actually having the integrity and the honor to stand guard over who and what we are and what we've learned and what people have done for us. And, you know, it's what I have, what I have found in my life is, uh, people who have gone through hard things um, know about hard things. And, you know, with that being said, I just, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that we're here talking tonight and, um, you know, uh, with every, with everybody listening, you know, this is the big thing we always talk about is you don't have to be in the military to have a warrior spirit or to, or to to have that fighting spirit or to have that that in you and so here we are with a guy who's never served in the military but at the same time has carried himself with integrity uh, i mean i think we all have those things in life that it, we, we literally could have just accepted who we are you know my my parents are drug addicts so i'm gonna be a drug addict my dad's drunk i'm gonna be a drunk it's just who we are it's what we are and then there's the people who say you know what um, gonna take this right path over here and it's not beaten out yet but I'm just gonna walk it and see where it takes me. And, and that being said, here we are tonight.
0: Statistically I should be in prison. I should have a child out of wedlock. I should be divorced. I should be in a gang. And so I tell everybody I'm one anti- you, you
2: forgot drug cartel, didn't you? Well yes. <laughs> <I guess. laughs>
1: God damn it, Lord! I I thought There's I was gonna be cool able to get them, for that, they're they're still t- one I, edit. Well, gonna gonna get say, you
0: Listen, I'm a legal drug dealer,
1: okay? <laughs> <laughs> <To> not people.
0: <laughs> well, not That's cool
1: if I want to get my dogs high.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe I look sure.
3: real close. If you look real close, Drew just got one gray hair,
2: right? There. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, fucking no, dude. This is awesome. Um, I'll tell you, the, the, what, what we talked, him
2: and I talked about the other day, sitting in his office, the, the that Ariaga story has become so much to me, especially since we've been talking about it so much. I held it so close for so long, and I didn't talk about it with anybody but myself. Um, but the way we explained, the way we've talked about it, how that you take that one horrible moment that led to such a good moment and – with so with without the bad moment that good moment does not come so it makes not it, it makes that bad moment almost necessary for you to be able to experience that well then the you take that another step for me to appreciate being able to meet the ariaga family i not only had to be had to be okay with the worst night of my life happening I had to be okay with everything that happened in that seven years, which included me being wounded twice. All of that had to happen to lead to that moment. Um, and it's one of those things where to now, when things go rough or go wrong, I can take it in stride knowing that, day hey, you never know where this is gonna lead. It ain't necessarily leading somewhere bad. And now it's still continuing to lead to good places. And it's got him and I um, as friends and, and just the, the way I've connected with him as a civilian it's proof that you don't have to be another military veteran with combat experience to understand somebody nah. um, because the, the trauma that people experience is different what you go through and the things that you deal with are a lot of the same um, the only thing that's different is the event the event itself so uh, I've I've gotten a lot out of talking and getting to know him uh, over the last month or so,
1: and it's uh it's really helped me a lot. And I was gonna say you two got a good thing going for only knowing each other about a month, man. You guys got a real comfortable flow. Like you guys are. You're gonna take our show on the road yeah. eventually.
0: That's yeah.
1: good, man, that's gonna be. A we've looked at,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> we've <laughs> looked at rings. Yeah,
2: we've looked at rings. Once a. I gotta pay off some of his student loans and he'll give me a ring. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> man. So you want uh did you want you your question, Rook? I haven't I you didn't get rookie, to ask this, is I you, still haven't head. answered it yet, but I wanna I wanna hear how he answers it for sure.
3: Well, I just I just have a final thought tonight and then I'll ask him the question. Um and then you guys can elaborate on, on anything you want to touch on tonight. But what kept going through, I kept hearing you say, well, you know, I'm not a veteran. I'm, I'm a civilian. And, you know, this is what this is. You you empathize with what we have gone through. Like it's something different. And um, as I've done, you know, these podcasts with Drew and, and now with, you know, Lloyd and, and now with you is – is every episode, I not only learn something about the people we're talking to, but also something about myself. Um, I think that when you talk to people who open up and actually talk about their struggles, um, in a way, it, you can relate to it. And also, if uh, if it's something you've never heard, you learn from it. If it's something you've heard before, it's like a cool, a cool glass of water. It just refreshes you, you know. It, It reminds you um, of things and how strong you are. And so my, you know, what kept going through my mind tonight is, you know, we're not so different, you know, um, we all find our path in life. We, on those paths, we accept the stresses, the debts uh, that come with what we have decided to do. Um, and in those struggles, we find we find out a lot about ourselves. And we also find a lot of brothers and sisters on that path as well. And uh, I, you know, tonight's episode, I just I consider it a privilege to have you on the show, to have met you and to um, have you relate not only to us, but to our listeners and let them know that it's not all about a combat patch on your arm it's about what's inside. Exactly right. that, so, you know, that being said, uh, my question for you is with our with our new idea with our with our new topic of what redefining a warrior in your in your idea in your eyes? What makes a warrior who is a warrior?
0: So I do believe part of it is like the traditional definition of a warrior. You got to be brave and you got to be courageous. You know, but traditionally it was reserved for fighters, you know, uh, military combatants of any kind. But I believe that a warrior really, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is someone that does not accept defeat as an option. It may be a possibility, because defeat's always a possibility. But you want to accept that, and you drive forward with braveness and with courage. And it doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Actually, you use your fear, you eat your fear and let it fuel you so that you don't fail. And that's what a true warrior is in my eyes, is someone with the bravery and the courage that no matter how many times they fall down, Yeah, I think there's an old poem, do you lay down in the the dust and er? do you just sit there? Or do you pick yourself up? Do you dust yourself off? And is that defeat not an option? It's always there, but is it not an option for you? I think that is what a true warrior is, is a person that will not accept that.